Hey, I'm Mike Bruce, the founder and CEO of Visible. As you scale your company, having the right guides at your side can make all of the difference. Each episode, we'll talk to fellow founders, investors, and experts. We'll dive into their zone of genius, as well as hear about their past mistakes to give you a better chance of success. This podcast is for founders by founders. This is the Founders Forward. Everyone, welcome. Uh, today, I'm so excited. I am joined by Ann Duane. Uh, she is a former founder, an operator, an executive. Uh, now she's an investor, uh, one of the co-founders and partner at Village Global. Uh, some LPs, I don't know, you might have heard of people like you know, Jeff Bezos and, and Sarah Blakely, like some pretty profound LPs I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, but Ann, thanks so much for joining us and, and taking the time to, to chat with us today. Oh, it's great to be here, Mike. Uh, okay, so... You're like OG tech in my mind. You you started out and you described it this way. So you said the 1900s, which made me laugh. Uh, but you started military.com in 1999. Um, what was that like, you know, uh, that journey like in, in the, the 90s compared to, you know, you're at Zinch, you know, maybe a decade later. Like, what was that like? Why did you decide to start a company? It seems like you're pretty early on in your career when you when you did so. Yeah, uh, I was an entrepreneur, I like to say, before entrepreneurship was cool. It was very odd um, to to be starting companies, in a sense. Um, And I was very fortunate because my best friend, Chris Michael from business school, uh, still my best friend to this day, said, um, hey, if there's a women.com, there should be a military.com because people who serve together really want to help each other. And there's a bond with people you know, and then people who also served that will help you answer the call to help them on career advice or relocation information or getting a job after the service. And that made perfect sense to me because I came from a military family. So um, we started military.com and we didn't have the the verbiage for social network or professional network back then, we just called it a portal and we had um, content and community and commerce and all these things. And um, I'll never forget, we were introduced to um, an individual who might write a small check. And in prep for that meeting, we said, is this an angel? And the person who was introducing us said, now, he's a really tough guy, but he might write you a check. <laughs> so we were early before the concept of angel investing <laughs> in common parlance. Um, and I'll never forget, we got we raised a $5 million Series A from Mike Leventhal, then at Mayfield Fund, um, and we received a paper check that we paid. <laughs> so this was like pre-wiring. And, um, but I'm so grateful because... Uh, people like Mike Leventhal, we still work with to this day. So Mike helped me um, become a CEO at Zinch because he connected me with the Zinch team. And actually, we at, at Village Global, we co-invest with Mike um, to this day. So yeah. um, I feel grateful to have been that and done that. And then at my second company, um, Zinch, um, I was backed by Iden Sencut at Felicis. And mm-hmm. It was very early in his fund, and and I'm just so impressed at what he's grown since then. And um, it's it's great to see people flourish yeah. over time. And so so Zinch, uh, new CEO there, that gets end up being acquired by Chegg. Uh, you spent some time at Chegg as chief business officer. Uh, that company goes public, I believe, when you were there. Correct? 
Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so your chief business officer helping acquire other companies, rolled those into Chegg. Chegg's, um, I checked the stock today just because just I was curious. It was like six bucks when it went public. It's like 86 now and not, not too much longer uh, later, which is pretty amazing. What, what are some things that you took away from that time uh, that maybe differed from, from your experience at military.com when you started that company? Like you, you, now you've seen something go pretty big, going public. Like what was that like? Yep. And I joined um, Chad through acquisition, as you said, acquisition of Zinch. And um, I think that um, Dan Rosenzweig, who's the was the CEO of Chad and is still the CEO of Chad, mm-hmm. just had a great perspective about um, bringing talent to the team. And then I learned so much from Dan about scaling a business. Because when I arrived at Chad, the company had um, $100 million of textbooks on the balance sheet. They own textbooks for textbook rental and really wanted to become a 100% digital um, company. And we did that by having a great team, by being pretty innovative in the model, and, um, and then doing a bunch of M&A. And Dan taught me so many things, a couple of words of wisdom I'll still remember. One, he said, always when we're facing a big decision, he'd say, what problem are we solving? How will we define success? And is it big enough to matter? And in the chaos of a rapidly scaling business, that was super helpful mm-hmm. because um, I think as an entrepreneur, you can do a lot of things right that doesn't matter, that don't matter. The thing is to do the right things. So mm-hmm. choose the right things, not do everything right. You can actually let a lot of fires burn if you do the right things. Yeah. And uh, so uh, very helpful. And then the other, which Dan, I think, advised me on is you'll never know the road not taken. So if you make a decision and it doesn't go the way you hope, just course correct, right? right. And um, that's very liberating because I think the one of the worst things a startup can do is not make decisions right? I think you have to figure out, is this a decision we have to make? And if we have to make it, let's make it and put a goal or metric at which time we can, we can figure out, is it working? Should we double down? Should we revisit? Should we cancel it? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I, uh, I love that thinking. I was actually just thinking about Chegg and, and having a hundred million dollars in assets on books. I actually use Chegg, like the, the oh, physical in, in college. <laughs> this is so, that's how old I am, right? I was using the, the physical version of the book and, and renting them. I was like, this is amazing. Uh, and so, you know, you after Chegg, you started Village Global, correct? Yes. And I credit Dan with saying, you know, you like these early stage companies. You should think about uh, venture. And um, I had known Ben, Kesnoka and Eric Torenberg, who are both themselves incredible entrepreneurs and community builders. And the big idea was that social and professional networks have transformed so many elements of life, but not early stage venture at the time. Early stage venture was kind of like an artisanal thing, right? And it was usually a hub and spoke, which is great. But how do you enable more entrepreneurs to get more funding and build even bigger businesses? And then I think tap into the fact that there is a founder mindset, which is about starting and about figuring things out and innovating and learning that actually is appealing to people who are aspiring to start things, but also people who have already built big businesses, but they're intrigued to be part of the next generation of innovation. And so um, we kind of Uh, thought about a couple of things. So one is, could we raise money from some of the most successful founders in the world? 
who would be interested in backing this next wave. And the good news is people were pretty interested in that. And um, we got folks like Jeff Bezos or you know Bill Gates, um, Magic Johnson, Abby Johnson, and Wojcicki to um, invest their capital and importantly, lend their name and even give some time to our breakout companies. And fast forward four years, that is working. In the beginning, the uh, brands of those luminary LPs helped us kind of break through the noise that is early stage venture today. There's so many investors, right? And yeah. um, we thought those big names could make us stand out a little bit in terms when we worked with angel investors or uh, founders. And the other element of our strategy is that we leverage scouts. We happen to call them network leaders, but we try to put funds in the hands of what we call first call angels who help us source, select, and support founders. And we just think that the trends now are, as you know, when you're starting a company, your first call is probably not to a professional VC. It's probably to an operator angel or mm -hmm. someone you really trust. And we believe that by working with those amazing angels, we can actually discover great founders early. How, how does the scout model work? Like, is it, is it my name as a scout showing up on the cap table or is it, is it Village Global or, or okay. like, how does it work like fundamentally? I, I find that pretty fascinating. Sure, sure. Well, there are probably as many variations of scout programs <laughs> as there are venture firms in the Valley. So um, they're all different. I'll tell you how ours works is we really want to be very transparent with founders. And we also want the angel that we're working with to have some skin in the game. So the angel is on the cap table at frankly, their comfortable amount. And some people write pretty small checks. Some people write pretty big checks. And that doesn't really matter as long as they're doing you do you, right? Like you write mm -hmm. whatever uh, angel check you might. But then once we've worked with you and we um, feel like the fit is great and the rapport is great, you are... Um, really entrusted with that money to pick the founders. So okay. um, we're decentralizing the investment decision to what we like to call the edges of network to these angels who are making the call. And we think we're probably funding some businesses that might not get backed by a bunch of people sitting around a table in Silicon Valley. And right. um, uh, so then, so why do people do this? Why do angel investors do this? Well, um, we do share carry with them, and, but I would tell you that's not generally the number one reason that people do this. Um, the number one reason is they want to put more money and more support behind the founders they want to back. The other benefits is they get deal flow from us. So if you're a mm -hmm. cybersecurity angel in, that we're investing in, you're going to have all your deal flow, but we also um, have lots of inbound and we have other angels who maybe don't do social security or, or um, <laughs> cybersecurity deals. So they'll send um, deal flow to you. And then you get to be part of a community of other angel investors, which is also fun to, you know, build your own craft. Mm-hmm. How and then and then you're getting at, are you you know investing in future rounds then after these um, angels source do, and find a deal? We do um, in some cases we do follow okay. on and um, but you know we're sharing carry on that first check and um, just trying to partner with that angel to be super helpful and yeah. this can be you know we're um, yeah that's complimentary. Sure, uh, I find this like super fascinating because. Uh, 
you, you were an operator in, in for the longest time and then you go cut your teeth at an investor and you come up with like a completely new model, right? Like this is something that really hasn't been done in this way. You know, you think about raising a venture fund and it's, I'm gonna go to endowments and high net worth individuals and family offices and you kind of raise it the traditional way. And you guys kind of completely change that with this network approach. Was that driven by something like, did you like sit in a room with, with your founders and co-founders and be like, what can we do different? Or like, how did, how did it really come to be? Was it like shared experiences that you've had or, or what was the impetus for it? Well, I would say that a couple of things that um, we, this is, I appreciate you're saying we're so novel, but I actually think that um, all of this work is derivative in the sense that Sequoia had piloted the scout program mm -hmm. um, and Andreessen Horowitz had thought about a partnership as a network. Other firms had said, oh, portfolio as community. So we, I think we were just in 2017 putting together these different elements in a kind of a new way and state of the art way. And um, I think what drove it is the power of community. And um, as I said, Ben and Eric are very passionate about this. And mm -hmm. my um, take on advice has changed a lot. So when in my first couple businesses, we kind of looked to the venture capitalists on high <laughs> to tell us what ways had of the successful companies they could share. And that's, there's some of that for sure. But given how fast the world moves and that the only constant is change today, um, the most valuable advice you can get, I think, is a thought partner. And often a thought partner who is either at your same stage figuring it out or maybe one or two steps ahead. Because mm -hmm. what I guarantee you what I did at Military.com and Zinch and these Chegg um, probably won't work today. I can tell you how we thought about it right? I can tell you um, how we manage through things, how we manage our own psychology, which all of that's helpful. And I think that's more valuable than saying do X or do Y. Mm -hmm. And then, the, but the other um, ramification of that is that learning from each other can be more enabled. And we spend a lot of time in cycles to try to connect founders with one another so that they can be, as I said, figuring it out together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do, are there any positive or, or you, you talked about, you know, investors from, from your, your past, uh, are there any positive or negative experiences that shaped uh, things that you took with you to Village Global? You know, like, oh, I love how that investor operated or, or maybe, oh, I didn't like that so much. And, and how did you take that and, and bake that into what you're doing now? Well, I'll always remember, I didn't, Senkut said to me, you know, I've got a small firm. What one thing can I do that will change the trajectory of your business? And I always took that to heart because, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think you have to find your own product market fit. You have to, mm -hmm. um, um, but it's nice to be able to ask for help. And then um, he was great about saying, what's your priority need and, and getting back to you on that. That was great. And then um, again, I just, I think that the investors I worked with were super supportive at a time when, frankly, it was odd to back probably women in a CEO role and things like that. So they took a chance on me and I will never forget that. And um, so again, and, and I feel the, the pleasure of this business is that um, we continue to be able to team together. Yeah, I love that. Oh, I didn't even talk about this. What kind of companies does Village Global back? You know, maybe we don't even cut that like before, yes. but like, Oh, we'd love to hear like, you know, the, the kind of name, Frank Seal number type stuff. Like what, where are you guys investing? Yes. So we are founder driven, not thesis driven. So we invest in 
really everything early stage. That being said, it's mainly software companies. And if you look at our portfolio company, the largest categories are um, enterprise SaaS, um, fintech, digital health and, and life sciences kind of technology, um, cybersecurity, all, all the usual suspect mm -hmm. um, venture categories. And um, we are global is our last name. So we're investing around the world. And we're actually fascinated by how fast good ideas about business models are moving around the globe. And in fact, in certain cases, we backed, for example, a company called WageStream. And WageStream lets hourly workers get their pay um, more evenly distributed. They don't have to wait till the end of the month, where in the UK, often hourly uh, workers get paid once a month. And that same um, income streaming business model, we backed also in Mexico with a company called Minu. So um, that's kind of a fun part of being yeah. global. But we love to be in a founder's first round or first institutional round. So super early alongside angels. And that's where we think we can add just a ton of value. Yeah, so LPs being being some of that and, and the roster is like incredibly impressive. How is that played out with them giving tech is great, but you know, time, access yeah. to their companies and, and networks, like what, what any interesting stories of, of how that's that's panned out? Sure. So um, you're right that in the beginning, even an early stage company that's trying to hire great people or do business development or, you know, partnerships or whatever, um, can benefit from being able to drop those names because as an early stage startup, generally nobody's heard of you, right? So we, there's founders that actually in the footer of their email will say backed by Village Global, which is backed by, you know, and they can choose any of the luminary LPs they want to mention. But beyond that, it's really been substantive. So Jeff Bezos has invested directly in a follow-on round, uh, and Wojcicki, lots of others. And um, for example, we just had a kind of a round table with uh, Abby Johnson at Fidelity, and she was able to make some really game-changing introductions for those fintech founders, Bob Iger uh, as well recently. And um, funny that um, it, it, one of my favorite stories is that um, one of the founders in a life sciences company was introduced to Bill Gates and had about a half hour with him. And um, amazingly, he had prepared by reading the slides we'd sent ahead, which yeah. we were frankly surprised that he had done that, but she didn't barely even sit in the chair before he had some pretty direct questions about how this technology can work. And uh, in a delighting, delightful way, um, she kind of went toe to toe with Bill Gates explaining why actually the ML algorithm will work. And, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. And it was great because it ended and he made some, you know, kind of amazing introductions uh, for that company. So that's exactly what, where we want that magic to happen. And it's, you know, I think that the, the key that we've made it for the uh, LPs is fun. It's, yeah. the, the, you know, and Barry Diller said, I am driven by curiosity. Right, these folks, and that's that founder mindset. They're curious and they want to um, understand innovation, and they want to meet the innovators of the future. Have you learned anything personally from from communicating uh, with these LPs? Right, like incredibly busy people running huge organizations. Like, what's it like communicating with them? Is it like hard to get their time? Are they responsive? Anything that that you've seen? How it, that you've learned? Well, we've been very fortunate, and I think. The good uh, news is that good ideas get their attention and mm -hmm. um, and they're relentlessly curious. So that's what we try to deliver on is, you know, epiphanies, 
um, about how the world is changing. And um, we don't generally have early stage businesses pitch them at day zero, right? Sure. But, but we will have founders describe their vision of the future, which is very enlightening because many of these people uh, have been very successful, know that often um, these innovators do see the future before anybody else, right? And yeah. they have a glimpse of that and they're all curious about that. That um, the the whole founder right so it's it's founders backing founders and and the LPs are are founders right and and I think you're seeing a lot of this where um, even fronts one of their uh, the more more recent rounds was completely led by yep. by founders and it was a huge round and you got introduction of things like rolling funds and and solo yep. funds and operators and, and and founders are blurring and becoming you know investors themselves like where do you see the world where do you guys see the world going in this whole model of like because it seems that at least from what I'm seeing, founders want to take checks from founders. Um, and, and that seems to be like the trend. Like, how do you see that unfolding? And like any any kind of takes you have on, on years to come for that whole shift happening where founders are backing other founders? Well, we love that trend. And you're right that we um, believe in the rise of the individual. And good or bad, I think there's a lot of less trust in institutions these days, lots of institutions, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and democracy is bad. And um, we think that networks are just um, in a super advantage um, for companies because networks um, can be tremendously adaptive, right? Like um, if you build a lot of fixed infrastructure, sometimes it's hard to change. If you have a bunch of people loosely in a confederation, then you can heavy up in one area and or build out the network in one area. And it's not like you have a lot of um, antibodies within the organization that are saying, no, no, don't change. This is the way we do things. So that's why we like this. And we think a lot about, um, you know, we're not an artisan venture shop. Mm -hmm. We're not um, trying to stamp out a bunch of founders in one mold, we're trying to do mass customization, which is how can we get founders to the right um, people in the network that can help them at the different stages of their business? Yeah, I love that. Let's talk about fundraising for a minute. Uh, I saw, I watched a presentation you recently gave, I think it was recent, um, it was on YouTube at least, so I'm not sure how old it could have been, but uh, uh, you, you, you talked about there's a lot of different ways to fundraise, right? Um, but like this, maybe some things you should do uh, when fundraising that can make or break um, a, a fundraise. Like what are some of those, not to put you on the spot because you had a, pre, I think yeah. you had a deck, um, but like anything founders should not do um, when, they're, when they're fundraising. I, I found that to be super fascinating and, and pretty tactical and, and helpful. Yep. So I don't think you should think about selling. I think you should think about being compelling bring people on the journey with you and make a conversation, not a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes to be sold. <laughs> right. um, and especially on Zoom, I think it might be death to be like, let me bring up my slide deck and get very small as a tiny talking head in the corner. I really recommend that people have a conversation, especially early stage and get to know people um, as people, warm up the conversation, get to know them. And then, um, keep the, the discussion of the business um, a back and forth, ask some questions and hopefully questions that get them responding and, and asking. Um, and 
um, yeah, I think that's the key. And then never yeah. be defensive about questions because especially early stage, you're not expected to have all the answers, but the quality of your response is determined by, are you open-minded? Are you listening? Are you aware? And what are you doing about it? Meaning it's okay to say, that's a great question. We actually don't know that what the consumer behavior is. Here's our hypothesis and here's what we're gonna to do to test it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What about, you mentioned kind of getting to know someone, how much is relationship building? I mean, you guys are very community centric and driven. How much of that uh, are founders doing with, with you or, or the team at Village Global ahead of you guys writing a check or participating? Like, you know, things are moving so fast. You said change is happening so fast and, and the market now is moving so fast. How, how much time are you, are you able to spend and build relationships with some of these uh, potential investments? And what do you, how do you like them to interact with, with you guys? Well, it's interesting because I would say that we're, we generally advise our founders to run a process, not just vaguely build relationships with investors, mm -hmm. because you can waste a lot of time as a founder, um, like getting to know or coffee chatting with investors. And so we try to work quickly. Um, we, you don't need to build a relationship to us. We have an um, open application on our website and we read every one of them. And um we try to make timely decisions and uh, we're pulsing our network to try to do that and things like that. Um, but you don't need that. And then, as I said, for somebody who has raised money and maybe they're raising their seed round or something, it's great to um, get your stuff organized, maybe do a couple of trial runs with friendly investors, but then try to run a process because I think that gives you the best chance of raising from the best investors at the best prices in the quickest time. So you can get back to building a business. What, what are you advising your founders? Is it like, how many, I'm, I'm gonna run a process. Like how many how many investors do you think I need to talk to like to, to, to run that if I'm raising, call it a, a seed round? Yeah, I don't think there's a magic number. I think the key is to find the investors that are relevant, either because um, not just stage, obviously, which is essential, but things like, do you think they'll get the model? Do you think they'll understand um, the mix, can they be helpful? And, um, and then, you know, again, have, try to be as compelling as possible with them. Um, I, I would say if I had to get a number, many people are reading, meeting 10 to 20 seed investors. Mm -hmm. Um, and that maximizes chances of, um, you know, getting maybe multiple term sheets or, or offers of interest. What's really interesting is I think we all know that sometimes the companies that struggle to raise a seed actually end up being the best companies because they were too exceptional, right? And yeah. the investors that end up backing them are, as they say, contrarian and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's, it's, it's exactly right. Um, awesome, we're gonna wrap up with some questions we ask all guests. Um, and some of these we covered, but I think we'll make sure we hit them again. What catches your eye in a cold email from a founder? You mentioned you take applications, like what, what catches your eye and you're like, ooh, I wanna to respond to that. So I'm looking for insight. And the best analogy I have for this is um, a comedian doesn't see a different world than the rest of us, but the comedian sees the humor in the world. An entrepreneur doesn't see a different world, but they see the opportunity in the world. And what are they seeing that is different. And often when they share that insight with you, it makes you view the world differently. Um, and um, so that's, that's how I would yeah. look for. And what's the number one thing founders can do 
when they are fundraising to help speed up that fundraising process? Is it running a process? Like what is the, the thing that they can do to, you know, get them back to building their business faster? Yeah, I think it's the key is to be ready to fundraise, meaning that um, you really have a compelling um, vision, reasons to believe, and that's all kinds of different traction at different stages and things like that, reasons to believe, and then um, never leave a meeting without understanding how did this land with you and what, if anything, is the next step so that you can try to um, move things along and then do run a process, right? Mm-hmm. Try to consolidate those meetings. Founder thinks they're a good fit for Village Global. They, 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 they check it out. They're like, ooh, yeah, right, right stage and, and interested in what I'm doing. Any tips for applying or, or getting uh, uh, better odds of, of a meeting? No, uh, I would just, again, we have this open application and um, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, and, and other places. But um, I think that the reason we do the application is that the random email is so hard to manage and the application just helps us really organize yeah. and make sure that we um, read everything and get back to people. Does every uh, founder go to the application even if they came from a referral? Uh, not really. We don't um, uh, force it, but it just means yeah. that if you don't have a, some connection to us sure. or whatever, you can, you know, you're in our in our radar. Okay, awesome. And what's your guys' process for investing in a company? We kind of touched on like the decentralization prospect. Is it like everyone votes? Is it you kind of have your own decision making? What's the process look like at, at Village Global? Well, we're super decentralized with those uh, scouts. We call them network leaders. And so if they're in, we're in. Um, and then for sometimes um, where we don't have that person yet involved, um, we just need one partner we um, to get to conviction. And we think that's better than consensus. And we'll know yeah. in five or 10 years whether that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a true pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your day um, and sharing some of this insight. It's been awesome to, to chat. And uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Wonderful. Thanks, Mike.